Welcome to Abide in Liberty, a podcast empowering patriots everywhere to re-enthrone faith, family, and freedom as the bedrock pillars of liberty in education, our communities, and our nation. Hello and welcome back to Abide in Liberty. I'm so glad you are here. Today, I'm going to be talking about education for the real world. And when I talk about education for the real world, it's probably not what you're thinking. I'm not talking about job training. And when I talk about the real world, I'm not talking about life after college, life after degrees. I'm not talking about the career world or anything like that. So stick around and let's dive into this. So if asked, most people in response to the question, what is the actual purpose of education, would probably respond with something like job training, you're preparing for a future career, you're preparing for the ability to support a family, to raise a family. Maybe you're preparing and to be able to get an education so that you can be more generous, so that you can give more abundantly to those who are in need. Many would maybe talk about the importance of having a diploma or getting a college degree. And while all of those things are important, there is so much more to education. That is not all that there is to it. Some of my favorite examples of people who looked beyond mere job training in their educational pursuits were people like Thomas Jefferson Benjamin Franklin, and George Washington. And there were many other founding fathers that fit this mold, but these are some of the most popular, so we'll talk about them for a second. Thomas Jefferson was absolutely a politician and a political philosopher. He uncovered several truths that the founding fathers used and incorporated into the Constitution, even though he himself wasn't there during the Constitutional Convention. But he was so much more than just his job. He was also an accomplished botanist. He was a well-known philosopher. He was a linguist and spoke and wrote and read in several languages. He was an inventor and he was an architect. He played a huge role in designing his own home, the estate of Monticello. Benjamin Franklin, who made his fortune and left his stamp on the world early in his life through his inventions, one of which was the lightning rod. He became famous for experiments with regards to electricity, But he was so much more than just the engineering and inventing geek. He was a statesman and an ambassador. He was the principal architect behind getting France to join the United States of America during the American Revolution. France was interested in helping, but didn't want to do it overtly. But he convinced the French nobility, the king and and his consorts, to join in this freedom movement over in America and join it with by contributing funds and loans, but also by sending his own soldiers over here to help us. Now, he was obviously probably not fighting for our freedom as much as he was interested in undermining and weakening Great Britain, but that was Benjamin Franklin. He was not just an inventor. He was not just an engineer. He was so much more than that. George Washington was well-known for his physical strength. He was a big man. He was strong. He was athletic. Um, He was all of these things that you would look for in a strong military leader, and he was that. But even then, he wasn't 
the best military leader that this country has ever seen. He was determined and he was persistent and he refused to give up, but he lost more battles than he won. But even then, he was so much more than just a military person. He was a statesman himself. He was a politician. He was an eloquent writer. He was self-taught. He was an architect also designing all of the additions that he made to his beloved Mount Vernon. Again, he, he didn't limit himself to just his job preparation. He was so much more than just his job and his career training. I've read this quote before, and you will probably hear me read it again, but Alexis de Tocqueville, who was the French guy who came over in the early 1800s to see what was so great about America and what made America this budding superpower that it was becoming. And he noted that in New England, every citizen receives the elementary notions of human knowledge. That's kind of what we typically think about when we think of education. But the citizens also learn the doctrines and evidences of their religion, the history of their country, and the leading features of its constitution. And he went on to say that in places like Connecticut and Massachusetts, finding somebody that wasn't really well acquainted with all of those topics was a sort of phenomenon. So education in that time in early America was way more than just reading, writing, and arithmetic. It was meant to develop leaders. It was meant to develop good citizenship. It was meant to develop moral, Christ-like people and a moral, Christ-like citizenry. This is what we mean by a classical education. It's an education that looks at developing the entire character, not just the brain and not just the heart, but the entire person. Or the early American education was about becoming more like Christ, who was the author and finisher of the primary faith of the early settlers and the early Americans. You know, just focusing on getting a good paying job and having a successful career is a hollow meaningless goal. It's and if it's not meaningless, it is it falls far short of what the true goal of education should be. Let's not forget that the happiest, most successful individual to ever walk the earth said that he had no home nor any place to place his head. That same man also said, lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We need to re-elevate our definition of education. Education is preparing us and it's preparing our children for the real, real world. In Doctrine and Covenants, section 130, verses 18 and 19, it says, Whatever principle of intelligence we attain to in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection. And if a person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life through his diligence and obedience than another, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. Doctrine and Covenants 93 verses 36 through 37 says the glory of God is intelligence. In other words, light and truth. Light and truth forsake that evil one. And reading this, I just have to wonder how God feels about being excluded from education if his glory is intelligence. This world that we live in is not 
the real world. It's a short period of testing. It feels real because it is the ultimate immersive experience. We don't remember what came before this life, and we can only dimly imagine what comes in the next. But what we are here to do in this world is to prepare for the real world, the one that's eternal, the heavenly world, the one that will last forever, not this fleeting, insignificant little blip on the timeline of eternity. We're here to prepare for the hereafter. That is the whole purpose of this life, and that should be the whole purpose of education for ourselves as we continue to learn as adults, but also for our children that we are responsible for helping prepare for that world. And I'm going to talk about this here in a little bit, but as we're preparing for that eternal world, it doesn't leave us ill-equipped for this small little testing period that we're in. In fact, it better prepares us for it. And this, the rest of this podcast, as well as what I'm going to talk about next week, hopefully illustrates that for you. But we have to remember that while we're here, because it truly is a small little infinitesimal period of time in our eternal progression, time is short. We do not have time to waste on lies or the philosophies of men. So what do we teach children then? What should we be teaching in our attempts to educate children? I want to look at what the founders thought we should teach. The Northwest Ordinance, this was what governed what states were required to do if they wanted to become a new state of the union, and it governed early American statehood for decades. It says, religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools and the means of education shall be forever encouraged. So the founding fathers wanted to make sure that state public schools included education on religion, morality, and knowledge. All of those things were important. And it was the fruits of that paradigm, of that law that de Tocqueville saw when he came in the 1830s. He was describing the results of this Northwest Ordinance at work for the past 40 years. And that led to the most prosperous nation that this world has ever seen, bar none. But let's take a look for a second. Let's turn to scripture and find out what does God want for education? And is there more than what the founding fathers thought was important? Doctrine and Covenants 55 verse 4 This is a revelation given to a man named William W. Phelps in the early formative years of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he was commanded to, quote, assist my servant Oliver Cowdery to do the work of printing and of selecting and writing books for schools in this church that little children also may receive instruction before me as is pleasing unto me. God cares about the curriculum that his children And our children are being taught from. I can't imagine how a godless education would be pleasing to him. That he would look at that and say, those are the books I want you to read. That's the way I want you to be teaching. A year and a half later, in Doctrine and Covenants section 88, verses 77 through 80, God gave the early church leaders a commandment to establish a school of the prophets. And this was... The reason for establishing this school was to prepare them to go serve missions and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
It was preparing them for their missions on earth. And it says, I give unto you a commandment that you shall teach one another the doctrine of the kingdom. Teach ye diligently, and my grace shall attend you, that you may be instructed more perfectly in theory, principle, in doctrine, in the law of the gospel, in all things that pertain unto the kingdom of God that are expedient for you to understand. That sounds pretty basic. What you would expect from a school of the prophets. You need to learn this faith. You need to learn the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you can share it. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, of things both in heaven and in earth. Now, in heaven could have a religious reference, but it could also refer to astronomy. In the earth, that's geology. And under the earth, also geology. Things which have been, that's history. Things which are, current events, and things which must shortly come to pass. Again, we're talking about future events and prophecies of what's coming. Things which are at home, so local events and local things that are happening, things which are abroad, the wars and the perplexities of nations and the judgments which are on the land. So what's going on here at home, but what's going on in foreign countries? What's foreign policy? What's foreign current events? and a knowledge also of countries and kingdoms, that ye may be prepared in all things when I shall send you again to magnify the calling whereunto I have called you and the mission with which I have commissioned you. Now, first from this passage, I want you to notice how secular and religious learning is blended together. There is no clear distinction. He doesn't stop with, here's the religious stuff and then here's all the secular stuff I want you to do. He includes things which are shortly to come as he's talking about history. He's talking about future prophecies at the same time that he's saying, I want you to learn about what has happened in the past. There is no distinction. God doesn't look at truth and say, all right, we're going to say, we're going to put a line here in the middle and I want all the spiritual stuff, all that truth over on this side and all of the other truth that has to do with physics and all these other things on the other side. Truth is truth is truth. It is one great whole. Truth is truth. It is indivisible. It is not to be subdivided. It is only in trying to remove religious and spiritual truth from the equation that we make any attempt to separate and divide these things. The other thing I want to point out is they were supposed to learn all these things to prepare them for their missions. Every single one of us and every single one of our children has a special mission for which God has sent them to this planet. And the way that they prepare for their missions is the same way that these people were commanded to prepare for theirs. It's learning all truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. Later in that same revelation and establishing the school of the prophets, the Lord says, And as all have not faith, seek ye diligently and teach one another words of wisdom. Yea, seek ye out of the best books words of wisdom. And here's the key, seek learning even by study and also by faith. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5-9 through nine says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity, For if these things be in you, and knowledge is in there, there's a whole lot of other attributes that we need to have. If all these things be in you and abound, 
they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his own sins. If you're missing, if you have the knowledge and you've got the secular learning, but you're missing temperance and patience and godliness and diligence and virtue, you are blind. You cannot see afar off. We've got to have an education that encapsulates and incorporates all of these things. And I love how in this particular passage, knowledge is just one of a laundry list of things that we need. In our high school right now, our students are reading Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. One of my favorite characters in this book is a guy named Joe. And he's, he's a blacksmith. This is in England a couple hundred years ago. And he is woefully uneducated. But this man's heart is pure. He has virtue. He has temperance. He has patience. He has godliness. He has brotherly kindness and he has charity. And this is someone to be emulated. Yeah, he's not as educated. And education is important. To God, it is incredibly important. But if you had to choose between having all those other attributes and being a little bit ignorant, or being incredibly educated, but being completely devoid of charity and kindness and all those other things, one of those is going to fare better at judgment day than the other. And it's the Joes. It's the Joes that are going to fare better. Martin Luther King hit on the same theme when he said, the function of education is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. But education, which stops with efficiency, may prove the greatest menace to society. The most dangerous criminal may be the man gifted with reason, but no morals. Now think Adolf Hitler. You don't come to power in Germany at a time when Germany has just been trampled on and is destitute after World War I and bring it up to the point where it can face and almost bring all of Europe to its knees by being an idiot. He had reason, but no morals. Greatest criminal? Yeah, I don't think you get much more criminal than Hitler. We must remember, Martin Luther King goes on to say, that intelligence is not enough. Intelligence plus character, that is the goal of true education. Doctrine and Covenants 138 verse 56 says, even before they were born, they, referring to us, with many others received their first lessons in the world of spirits and were prepared to come forth in the due time of the Lord to labor in his vineyard for the salvation of the souls of men. We began our education before this world began with our Heavenly Father. And what do you think school looked like there? What were the things that were taught there? Did they have a class that here's all the religious stuff and then we're going to move into history and current events and what's coming in the world and what's been going on in the world before you're coming down to earth and keep God out of that? Did they, when they're looking at history and the founding of our nation for us, maybe we learned about that before we came here. Did they leave out the fact that the founding fathers relied on God to bring this country into being? I doubt it. I highly doubt it. And if that was the type of education that we had before we came here, and that's where we're trying to get back to, that's the heavenly home we want to return home to, why in the world would we not try to emulate and model that form of education as much as we possibly can here? Why would we settle for anything less than that? That is Liberty Youth Academy's mission and vision, but it's not the only way to get there. 
Now, if you're wondering as you're hearing this, wow, I love and I, I want that kind of an education for my kids, but there's not a school here that can do it, or maybe I can't afford to send them to a private school that can do that. That is not the only option that you have. Don't fear. Pray and find out what God wants you to do. Then move forward with trust and faith that you can do whatever he tells you to do. You are enough if God says you are. So get rid of the excuses, find out his will, and then go make it happen and watch the miracles unfold. I promise you they will. We've seen them countless times ourselves. So how does what we just read from the scriptures compare with what the founders thought education should look like? What de Tocqueville saw, this was human knowledge, but it was religion, it was history of the United States and of the Constitution. These match perfectly, and that's no accident. The founding fathers read the Bible. They knew what God had said about education, and I'm going to read some more references from the Bible that informed the way that they approached education and what they were looking for in determining what kind of uh, education they wanted for the citizens of this country that they had sacrificed so much to set up. But one thing I want to point out is this kind of an education, as we, as we focus on a real education that prepares us for the real eternal world, it also prepares us really well for this world that we live in right now. And it prepares us to be able to maximize freedom and opportunity in this world that we live in. Going back to John Adams' quote that this constitution was made only for a moral and religious people and that's wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And then Benjamin Franklin's clarification that people who are universally corrupt have need of more masters. We don't deserve and we're not capable of a free society if we're not righteous, if we are not doing everything we can to govern ourselves. So this kind of an education sets us up for the best outcomes in the world and also in the world to come. Now, I want to chat real quick about what we can expect if we don't educate in God's way, because the Bible talks about that too. We've been warned about accepting anything less than his standard. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Now I ask you, if God is not directing our educational paths, who is? Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 5 and 7. Speaking of the last days, our day, he said that they have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. From such turn away, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. If we're in a place and if we're educating our children in a way that denies the power of God, we are spinning our wheels and wasting our educational muscle. We cannot arrive at a knowledge of the truth if we deny God's power. What we get is we get the philosophies of men mingled with some truth, yes, but it's diluted and it is corrupt. Second Nephi chapter 9, verses 28 through 29. Oh, that cunning plan of the evil one. I'll see if any of this sounds like our world today. Oh, the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of men. When they are learned, they think they are wise, and they hearken not unto the counsels of God, for they set it aside, 
supposing they know of themselves. Wherefore, so here's the consequences of that mentality. Wherefore, their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not, and they shall perish. But to be learned is good if they hearken unto the counsels of God. I hear echoes of these warnings throughout education in America. It's godless and relies strictly on human knowledge and human understanding. It's learning without God, which means it's not going to be profitable long-term. And perishing is the result. It results in foolishness. And we are perishing as a nation. And foolishness is everywhere on display. We are reaping the rewards of the education that we've been sowing for the past 60 and more years. Now, a popular counter-argument that I've heard in many a Sunday school lesson is that I can fill in the God gaps in my children's education at home. Secular stuff at school, spiritual stuff at home for a nice, well-rounded overall education. And unfortunately, this is simply one of Satan's lies that so many of us, peoples of faith, have bought hook, line, and sinker. And we have got to dispel it. We've got to uproot this and get it out of our discourse. That, unfortunately, is an episode unto itself. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about next week. So make sure to subscribe and check back next week. You do not want to miss that one. Thank you for listening to Abide in Liberty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with friends and family. In the meantime, keep up with the show online at AbideInLiberty.com. Also, if you'd like to help our K-12 bless and educate more families, contact us by visiting LibertyYouthAcademy.org. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and be strong.